Boraway Army and fellow music fans, I'm Kayla. And I'm Bethany, and we're the hosts of Standing BTS from the Consequence Podcast Network. We're a bi-weekly show that covers the impact and legacy of K-pop group BTS. We mix the perfect blend of research and fangirl as we take a deep dive into lyrics during album reviews, theorize over music videos, and keep up with their current events. No BTS topic is off limits. We welcome everyone into the conversation, whether you're a casual fan, committed ARMY, or someone who's just curious about one of the biggest music groups in the world. Come chat with us every other Thursday with a new episode wherever podcasts are found. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey kids, it's the Spark Parade, a show where I talk to amazing people about the art and culture that's shaped their lives. I'm Adam Unz. Thanks a whole bunch for joining me. Coming up on today's show, you'll be fortunate enough to hear my chat with artist Andrew Brishler about his love for Wes Craven's meta-horror classic Scream, as well as a couple of other horror classics, and talk show host, actor, and media mogul Oprah Winfrey. So more scary stuff for you at the top, and finishing up with the warm, soothing embrace of your TV mother. Isn't that nice? But before we dig into that exciting stuff, let's talk a little bit about defining new artistic genres. As Andrew and I mentioned later on, Scream was really the first of its kind. A self-referential horror movie that nods to horror conventions and directly references other horror films, it was followed by countless imitators spawning a new kind of horror film. Meta-horror? I don't know if it actually has a name. It doesn't really matter because my point is, art has these broad, overarching categories. Film, music, dance, etc. And those larger categories get broken down into smaller categories and subgenres. Film branches off into comedy and horror and westerns and whatever else, but all of those subgenres branch out into even more specific stuff. Horror gives way to the aforementioned meta-horror, if that's what we're going to call it, and also body horror and slasher movies. It's like the branches of a family tree. People say there are no new ideas, but to my mind, the innovations in each macro genre continue on at the micro level. But as you go down each branch of the art tree, or whatever, towards the tips, those innovations get subtler and harder to distinguish, especially for someone who isn't all that into whatever art form we're talking about. Like, someone who hates horror movies doesn't really give a fuck about the difference between body horror and slasher movies. It's all just one big yuck. But for fans, for nerds like myself, we revel in the subtle differences. Taking dance music as another example, you've got these mega categories, the big daddies of dance like house or techno, and they get subdivided and subdivided into these ever more pedantic categories. When someone doesn't give half a shit about dance music, the difference between juke and footwork is negligible, if it's even discernible in the first place. But again, the nerds the true aficionados can pick out those minute differences and latch on to the tiny variances that mean these micro-genres are moving the culture forward. It takes time, patience, 
and a lot of intense interest to get to a point where you're that enamored of a particular art form that you can suss out and keep track of all these little tendrils of change. But to me, it's really important if you're going to tag along for whatever comes next in the art forms that tickle your fancy. And so, for someone like me who is so passionate about the breadth of the cultural spectrum, tracing those tiny cultural forward movements feels like a way to get a little glimpse of the future. Yikes. Did I drift too far into the weeds on this one? Are you still awake? No worries if not. Have a nice little snooze. But if you're still with me, let's swing on over to my lovely little chat with Andrew Grishler about Scream and Oprah Winfrey. Why don't we start with Scream, which can be our gateway into the horror genre. Um, yeah. So a little bit of backstory. I grew up on Long Island. I had a pretty rough childhood in terms of like my parents just did not get along. They ended up getting divorced right before I was, I went into sixth grade, which is a really great time for um, a gay kid to experience some sort of divorce. And we used to go to Fire Island every summer, not the gay part, (laughs) um, the very family oriented part. And it was really the summer that my parents my sister and I knew that the writing was on the wall. Like my mom went for like half the week and my dad went for the other half the week, but we still haven't had had the conversation yet. My sister's best friend came and they brought a video that they rented from Blockbuster. And it was like a rainy night on Fire Island. We couldn't like go walk the boardwalk to go to get ice cream. And it was Scream. And my sister had already seen it in the theater, which is insane because my sister was still only like 14 and it was a rated R movie. But so we watched it and I was petrified (laughs) and exhilarated. Mm. Like those two things were happening at the same frequency at the same time. It was just amazing. It was exhilarating. I had never heard people in movies talk about other movies. Mm -hmm. Like, when was the last time you saw Scream? I mean, I'm going to say 15 years ago. Okay, so you're due for a rewatch. Yes. Um, I've seen Scream since then more than any other movie I've ever seen. Mm. It's one of those movies that I can, like, quote... Like, if you give me a line from Scream, I can tell you the line before it and the line after it. And... There's no way to say this without bragging. sound like I'm bragging, but I have a photographic memory and like, that's not it. I've just seen it so many times. And <laughs> and really what, ha- what Scream did for me was it was the first movie that gave me an, uh, like a very specific kind of escapism. Yeah, when I was a kid, I was into Star Wars and I was into like all those like fantasy fun movies that kids are into. But Scream like scared me and it it was violent and angry, but it was also really funny. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I needed because I saw it the summer before I went into sixth grade. That summer, my parents sat us down after Fire Island and gave us like the, your father's moving out, yada, yada, yada thing. I had already, it had been a, a long time before that, that I knew that I was gay. Mm-hmm. Um, or like, I knew that there was something that I couldn't turn off that I knew I couldn't talk about. And like, I just started to know that that was being gay. And when September hit and I started sixth grade, it was the worst three years of my life. Still to like, I'm 32 and those middle school years were the worst years of my life because I experienced anxiety and trauma and all middle school things that all kids feel Mm -hmm. a lot of the time, unless you were popular in middle school, which, which means you're deranged. (laughs) Um, but what I started to do on weekends, because I didn't really, I didn't really continue hanging out with all my best friends from, um, from elementary school, just because I, I just was hunkering down and ashamed at how anxious I was and ashamed at how badly I was acclimating to like this new environment. 
my mom and I would drive and get like pizza on Friday nights. And in the same like strip mall, because it's Long Island, there was a blockbuster video. Mm. And that's really where I started following horror movies. Mm. And it started with Scream and then it went to, it went back to Halloween. And like, I'm the generation, I don't know how old you are, but like, I, I'm the specific end of a generation where like, I remember what it was like before the internet, mm-hmm. but like just until like 10th grade. So like the only research I did of watching horror movies was was watching them. Like mm-hmm. was renting like five and taking them home and watching them all weekend. And like though that practice kept my anxiety at bay until of course Sunday night in which I like had a full meltdown, yada, yada, yada. But Scream gave me the permission to like really allow myself to be scared in a safe way. Mm-hmm. And from seeing Scream, I started just falling in love with horror movies. And I didn't only fall in love with horror movies. I fell in love with the movie posters. Like I Mm -hmm. fell in love with the title sequences. And like, you know, once I really got through like one night, I I rented Psycho. And then I started to become really interested in Alfred Hitchcock. And I became interested in the way that his titles were designed. And they were designed by this graphic designer named Saul Bass, who Mm -hmm. is incredibly influential on me. Really, when you asked me what my biggest cultural inspirations were, Scream came to mind because, not just because I love it and I like just think it's so fun and it it really did change a lot of the ways that like movies were made. It started a lot of like the new kind of teen movie, not just horror movie. Yeah. But because I watched Scream, it unlocked a way of looking at art that wasn't necessarily fine art. Like I was looking at, you know, Wes Craven directed Scream. So I watched his movies and, you know, his most famous movie is The Nightmare on Elm Street. I became obsessed with that movie and obsessed with that movie poster and movie posters and graphic design. And that way of thinking is completely seminal to the way that I make work now. I mean, Mm -hmm. all of my work deals with typography and letter forms and sort of bringing commercial cinematic design into the fine art sphere. And that's that's really where Scream, that's what Scream did for me. I mean, and I've, yeah. I've, like, I've literally watched it like in the last six months, I've watched it. <laughs> and I'm very protective over it when people, like I did a, I did a visiting artist talk at a small college in Vermont last, last month. And I started my talk with a screen, a screen cap of uh, Casey Becker, Drew Barrymore, um, screaming through a window and like the reflection through the through the window is of the killer wearing the ghost mask. And yeah. I asked these kids who were like, you know, between 18 and 22, like who knows what movie this is from? And like 90% of them didn't know what movie it was from. And that shocked me. Mm. And it also made me feel <clears throat> ancient. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I it's it still just thrills me. It thrills me. I mean, I love, it's like one of those movies that like, I love watching people watch Mm. because I can watch it in my brain. But -hmm. like when I like have a new person to show it to that hasn't seen it, they're like, I don't like horror movies. I was like, I don't care. You're going to love this movie because it's fun and it's exciting and it's crazy and it's, it's fully camp. I mean, it gave us Nev Campbell beyond Party of Five. (laughs) It gave us Courtney Cox beyond Friends. Mm -hmm. It gave us Rose McGowan. I mean, 
the movie the, was produced by Harvey Weinstein, yeah. which is yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny to like evangelize and hold up a movie. I wrote a paper about Scream in grad mm. school because we were given a prompt about something cultural that meant a lot to us that wasn't like a fine artist or you know a painting. Mm-hmm. I wrote about that. So yeah, I mean, it's I can't overstate how incredible it is. Like, remember where when where I grew up, like there was like Blockbuster, obviously, but then there was also you know, small video stores mm-hmm. that were like in neighborhoods that were owned by randos. And I would get movie posters from video stores, like mm-hmm. when Scream 2 came out, which is a whole other kettle of fish. And like, I could evangelize about Scream 2 too, but I'll just keep it with the first one <laughs> just to keep it really, everything sort of cohesive and concise. Um, yeah. I had a conversation with somebody a few days ago about Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And he was- watched it. Yeah. He was talking as well about yeah. movie posters yep. and- there's like a, a just, claw and mm-hmm. yeah and that movie gave us patricia arquette yeah yeah and uh lawrence fishburne mm-hmm. um in the titles as larry fishburne yeah which yeah. is back hilarious. in the day yeah. before he uh started yeah. really you know cowboy curtis all of that <laughs> stuff he could be larry and uh-huh. uh, and then once we once we hit event horizon we really we yeah. really arrived at lawrence fishburne yeah you gotta be taken seriously but it's interesting that like there's all these kind of transitions that that movie represents not mm-hmm. only in your life but in in the world like sure. you going through this really difficult time in your life and having this be something that's kind of a, a touchstone mm-hmm. of that era but also i talk a lot on this podcast about the transition from digital to or from, uh, from analog to digital mm-hmm. um uh, across the board all over the world the influence of the internet all of that kind of stuff and i think it is what you were saying about the importance of graphic design and movie posters and artwork in general mm-hmm. um, on on the covers of video boxes and on posters and all of those kinds of things in the pre-internet world uh, if oh, yeah, you wanted absolutely. to find a movie you go into a video store and the first thing you see is you know you're you're is paying that, much more attention yeah. to the poster to mm-hmm. the images that are you know they they have very few opportunities to get your attention yeah, and they exactly you know, marketing wasn't as easy to to spread as it is on the internet so you have a few little stills from the movie on the back and the poster and mm-hmm. that's kind of how you got to choose what you're going to see um and it was also this finite choice as well like now you can not every movie is available online but you can say put put into google horror movies mm-hmm. and like have, best horror movies right. of x and a billion results yeah. come up yeah um but then it's like you you don't have the internet you have to go to a library to do any kind of research right and when you go to a video store there's a this section that says horror and that's what you have to, to right. go on. And I can remember myself, like, you know, always heading to the horror section and being like, is there anything that I haven't seen? That, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, let's do something really bad tonight. Let's do something like highbrow tonight. And now that I've, I'm an adult and I'm making money, I bought an original copy of the screen poster. And it's mm. like, it's like framed and it's like hung in my, <laughs> it's hung in my room and it's hung next to paintings. Like it's hung on this like sort of salon hung wall in my room. And it's next to like paintings by People that are making, you know, they're living, selling art because I don't see the two, I don't see a separation between the two in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. And that is also sort of like a seminal part of my artistic practice is that like, because a lot of my work aggregates graphic design motifs that have, that already exist in the world or riffs on them, I've had to allow myself to sort of, to democratize all of my sources. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't put things on on like a pedestal. I don't put a Toni Morrison quote on a higher pedestal if I'm going to like steal something, a phrase or something, as I would 
something from that something that Freddie says uh, in a night is in a Nightmare on Elm Street three, right? And um, Scream did Scream did that. I mean, Scream was like the first, at least for me, and especially in horror movies, because the thing about horror movies is that no one in horror movies knows that horror movies exist. Right. There's never a mention that killers exist and scary movies exist. Like people are just being killed by some psycho, but they never reference the fact that they're, you know, this is insane because this is basically a horror movie. Whereas Scream, like I learned about certain horror movies because of Scream. Mm -hmm. Like in the first scene, Casey Becker, Drew Barrymore, while she's on the phone for the, like the first chunk of the phone call before she realizes that things are going to like turn really bad, she references A Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween. And the next weekend I watched both of them. And and it's really, I mean, it's a really powerful thing when you are, you know, I I was 11, so I guess you would still call that a child, even though like I was like on the brink of experiencing like extremely adult feelings in terms of being gay and having to wrestle with that and yada, yada, yada. But like, it's re- there's something really powerful about when you see something that doesn't look like anything else for the first time. You're like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. The first time I saw, you know, a Robert Rauschenberg painting at MoMA, I didn't know art could look like that. The first time I saw Scream, I didn't know a movie could act like that. And another thing that I was thinking about once you asked me to, to have this conversation, several years ago, I did a sh- uh, what ended up being a very big show in Los Angeles. Big just in terms of the gallery was, was huge and I had to make a lot of work for it. And the overarching theme of the show was sort of about this queer read of horror movies. Mm -hmm. I think it was in grad school where I stumbled upon this book by this scholar and the book's called Monsters in the Closet. And it's Mm -hmm. all about the homosexual reading on the horror genre. And I love horror movies. And basically more or less every boy I've ever dated has also loved horror movies Mm -hmm. in some way or, or another. I mean, I dated this guy when I was in, right after I graduated from undergrad, who liked horror movies that I cannot watch. Japanese horror movies and things that just sort of like are excruciating to watch. But one of the thesis statements in this book was we as me, me as a gay man can identify with both parts of the narrative. I can identify with the woman being chased Mm -hmm. and I can also identify with the monster. Right. And we're in my studio and like, there's a body of work behind me that's just exploring the word monster over many, many, many drawings because we have been made at certain points, whether overt or not, to be made into monsters as queer youth. And we also know what it feels like to feel like we're in danger, whether right. from our family, which like I've, I never felt in danger because of my family, but like, you know, just moving throughout middle school, right? I felt like I was being attacked Mm-hmm. Whether just from a glance or from, you know, so me having that trauma all week and then going home and watching people have trauma was like, I guess, really dark if you look at it in a certain way. But it was it was just such a release. It was such a release. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the horror genre, uh, writ large, mm-hmm. uh, do you find yourself more drawn to that kind of like slasher movie, um, you know? Yeah, Scream kind of sets itself yeah. apart from the other sure. films in in that sort of subgenre. But um, like do, uh, other Wes Craven movies, like The Serpent and the Rainbow, or uh, I've actually like never that. seen The Serpent and the Rainbow. Oh, it's so fucking good. Um, and that's like I'm like going home tonight, and I don't have anything to do, so maybe I'll watch that. I've never seen The Serpent and the Rainbow. I mean, Last House on the Left, his first movie is like extremely hard to watch. Yeah, um, because it looks like it was made. It looks like it's real because it was so insanely low budget, kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first one? Uh I mean, that movie is like 
fucking brutal. Yeah. Brutal. I mean, the things that they did in cinema writ large in the 70s are kind of, it's kind of incredible. Like the exorcist, watching the exorcist is brutal and it's brutal before they do the exorcism. Like, um, things that I've been interested in aside from like slasher movies, because like slasher movies usually hit a certain, hit certain beats and Mm -hmm. fulfill certain tropes. Even scream does that. Um, even though like scream, scream is a little different just because like, you don't know who the, who the person is that's doing it. Usually slasher movies, like, you know, what's, you know, there's no mystery involved. Mm -hmm. It's like this person is killing teen girls usually. And he's subhuman or a monster, you know, some, something like that. Um, Scream was interesting because it was also like a mystery and it continued to be a mystery through all of the four, even though I don't, four is not canon to me. (laughs) Um, I know, I know a lot of people disagree with that, but um, I, one of the best, horror movies I've seen that was released in the last, I guess, 15 years was this movie called The Descent. No. You've seen it? It's so good. It's so good. (laughs) I um, take my Instagram way too seriously. And (laughs) I post, I don't usually post things about me, but I post a lot of screen caps and things from culture. And on New Year's Eve 2016, I posted the image of her coming out of like the, Mm, like -hmm. at the very end of the movie, gasping for air air covered in blood. The Descent was one of those movies that I had heard good things about. And I took like four of my female friends over, I think like winter break when I was in college. And one of them left and said, I'll see you after because Mm -hmm. like she couldn't take it anymore. And then my other friend, Ari, during the movie, we because it was a totally empty theater, we like started talking about what we were going to get at the diner afterwards because we had to just like get out of the movie. We had to like get out of how fucking scary it was yeah. because I think the reason it's so well made and it feels so different is because it wasn't. It's not a U.S. movie. It's mm-hmm. a movie that was made overseas and it doesn't have the same. You don't know any of those actresses. Mm-hmm. I still don't know any of those actresses, which yeah. is like. I think rule number one for like a really good horror movie, unless it's doing something specific about, you know, celebrity and whatever. And also that movie could have scared the shit out of me if there were no monsters in the, in down there. Right, right. Just to a quick summary. It's like all these six or eight women who used to be very close after the, uh, one of them has like this insane trauma. They all have a birthday weekend in these caves. They go down into, to go spelunking one of them decides that they're going to go on an uncharted path uh, without telling the rest of them. And while they're down there, they discover these monsters that have been living down there for centuries. These people that have like developed without sight because they don't need to because it's so pitch black. Before they see the monster, just being them being lost mm-hmm. down there is enough to terrify yeah, me. Yeah, it's so like claustrophobic and yeah. the... The atmosphere Mm -hmm. is so intense from the second that they get into that cave. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good example of kind of the, not necessarily the opposite end of the spectrum from Scream, but like Scream is a film that gives you moments of levity to kind of even out the tension. Yeah, exactly. Um, So there's enough humor that it, there's a balance. It's still scary, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like there is no break. There's no relief. Mm -hmm. And the descent is the opposite. It's like constant tension. Right. Just really yeah your butt doesn't unclench until you leave yeah and then you walk out of the theater and you go to the diner and you order mozzarella sticks and you like howl about how insane it was and you have the best night ever because it was so fucking intense and i've shown that movie to people and 
people are like people don't necessarily like it but they know it's a really effective horror movie it's yeah. really really scary and just like the color palette of that movie because it's either red or if you're looking through night vision it's green and yeah. there's like there's this incredibly beautiful complementary color palette to it i haven't seen the sequel just because i thought the first movie was so perfect yeah you don't need to see it yeah and it's like i yeah so um i'm like not a sequel person in general i just mm-hmm. took my niece and nephew to see frozen 2 and it was <laughs> yeah i've i've heard ghastly yeah. it was so bad but um but yeah the descent and i'm trying to think of like other ones that have really like thrown me for a loop oh um the most recent halloween was incredible the uh the jamie oh, lee yeah, curtis yeah, yeah. one yeah. did you see it yeah i like love doing things at the 92nd street y mm. i love a good in conversation with up there <laughs> yeah and i saw before it, it was last year right before it came out jamie lee curtis was doing a conversation with the director david gordon green and there's like it's not a sign. The way that they did it was there there weren't assigned seats in the theater. And so there was like this really long queue. And I we got there like an hour beforehand. And like every gay guy that I know was on that line. It was yeah. hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I think she and I would be like great friends if like we knew each other in real life, just because she's so she's just so like loud and boisterous and where's I'm, her i'm sure she's gonna listen to this so, yeah you know she'll, there, there's your she'll, she'll contact me yeah. um it's not hard to find my email address on the internet <laughs> but i do think that she, she really thinks a lot of that movie like mm-hmm. it's all about trauma it's all about and it is but it's also just really well made i mean there are things about that movie that are very very well made and it hits all of the slasher movie notes and it's also good to it's also just nice to like see a good halloween because there hasn't been a good halloween since the first one like I've enjoyed parts of them I love Halloween H2O which by the way was only made because of Scream if you watch Halloween H2O it is Scream but with Michael Myers and it's kind of all the bad parts of Scream it has like every hot actor actor of that time it's like Mm -hmm. Michelle Williams I mean that's her best role forget about Judy (laughs) Uh, Josh Hartnett Mm -hmm. LL Cool J plays the security guard I forgot about that is Ronnie. He's a romance yeah. novelist. But yeah, the, the the most recent Halloween was really good. There was a really great long tracking shot. Um, in the interest of time, we should probably jump on the uh, <laughs> uh, clunky segue train. And, uh-huh. uh, I, there's, about... there's literally no segue to be made. <laughs> yes. Not uh, a one. But I mean, I think all roads lead to Oprah Winfrey. So, uh, I mean... Are we talking about uh, a holistic influence um her uh talk show the movie roles um, <laughs> yes her, we are only talking about the oprah movie roles stand-up comedy uh um actually the reason there is there is not a good like there's not a good like segue to be made for for oprah after horror movies but they were consumed by me at the same time for pretty much the same reason. When I came home from school every day, when I was in middle school, I would get in front of the TV and I would catch the last 15 minutes minutes of a rerun of $100,000 Pyramid. Amazing. And then at four o'clock was Oprah. And my mom was, my mom was a teacher. She just, she just retired about a year and a half ago. She was a teacher and she did a lot of like after school things. So I usually was home for a little bit by myself for like an hour. Mm-hmm. And usually in that hour was Oprah. So... While the weekends were consumed with horror movies as a way for me to escape whatever I was going through internally, Oprah 
was like what I could aim to get to at the end of every day. And like Scream did things in horror movies that were never done before, Oprah talked about things and about those things in certain ways that had never been spoken about on television before. I mean, she talked, I mean, when I first started watching her, which was, I guess, in the mid, yeah, the mid 90s, it was the period of time where Oprah, it was like the, like the religion of Oprah. It was like mm-hmm. when she really started to do like spiritual things on her show. And at the end of every show, whether it was like a celebrity interview or makeovers or like, you know, my stepfather killed my whole family. At the end of literally every show, she did a segment called Remembering Your Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it was either completely unrelated to the show or it had something something to do with part of what was going on in the show. And it was, I'm sure if you watch those today, it's kind of hard to watch Oprah shows online because like Harpo is such like a, they've just made sure that like nothing is on YouTube unless like they know that they put it there. But those, those I'm sure those those segments don't age well. But they really, she helped me. I mean, she parented me with more tenderness than my parents did at the time Mm -hmm. because I was so anxious and I had such a hard time getting up and going to school every day that my parents were at the fucking ends of their rope. And they had also just separated, so they didn't want to fucking deal with each other, but they had to because of me. So there was a lot of frustration from my parents, though they did the best they could and they loved me so much. Oprah parented me and taught me things and let me know it gets better. Mm -hmm. Not in like a it gets better campaign kind of way like talking to like a gay person talking to a young gay person saying don't worry it gets better but just like showed me things about the world that i didn't know about spoke to me in ways that i had never really been spoken to before and taught me that mental health and how we treat ourselves before like the term self-care became ubiquitous really mattered Mm -hmm. And I had to, you know, I had to be dragged to therapy when I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons that I was so open to it once I went and found a therapist that I really trusted was because of her and the way that she spoke about things. Her own story was so powerful to me, you know, like coming from nothing, coming from like a really hard, like really, really rough childhood and just believing in yourself. And there's just something, there's something incredibly, I don't want to use the word calming, but like nourishing and... She's like a salve to me. There is a photo of me that exists that I will show you when we're done. Of uh, so, my one of my best friends in the world, Hope, who I met in college, she also loved Oprah through a very difficult time of her adolescence. And when we lived together in college, we watched Oprah every day together, Mm -hmm. or at least as many days as we could. And we watched her last show together, which aired in 2011. And she took a photo of me. watching like the last five minutes of that of her last show and it it is incredible i'm like kind of ashamed about it but i'm like i'm crying like i'm watching my family being killed (laughs) like i couldn't see a day beyond her last show i mean she just you know i mean i know that there are i'm sure there are things in your life that are just like sort of everyday constants i think those there are things like that for all of us and i think I th- I think for everybody, there's at least one or two cultural things that are like everyday constants, especially when we're kids. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that the TV raised me because it didn't, but like she definitely the the person that I first that I saw when I first got home after like surviving another day of school was her. Right. And just the way that she speaks about we are all put here for a purpose and like 
your job in life is to understand what your purpose is. And it's funny, I was just watching, I couldn't sleep the other night. So I, because I've watched so many, you know, like when you log into the YouTube app, like the algorithm shows you like things that you'll want to watch. Yeah. There was some talk that she gave at Stanford Business School a few years ago, and I watched the entire thing. <laughs> and she, she says this thing that I just love and I've always loved. And she defines luck as preparation the moment it meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think I heard that when I was in high school. And all I've ever wanted to be is an artist. I didn't really know what it looked like when I was in high school. I just knew that I didn't want to be anywhere except the art room. And I didn't go to art school right away from undergrad, but ended up majoring in art where I went to college. And then I went to art school for graduate school. And I I have always known that this is what I've wanted. I've wanted to be a working artist, working in my studio every day and showing my work and hopefully making a living that way. And I have prepared or I did prepare and I continue to prepare, I think every day for like the moment where my preparation meets opportunity. For creative people, that's the only control that we have over like an ex- like an extremely unstable, unforgiving, crazy industry. I mean, right. the art world is crazy that way. And that is to say, just fucking work hard. And if you work hard, things will pay off. Yeah. And the long stretches of time where I don't like have shows or it's been a really rough year because I, I was supposed to have a show and... I had to cancel it for all these different reasons. The way that she speaks about her life and models her life as a lesson for other people is like so profound to me. And Mm -hmm. she's always like, I know I'm a billionaire. I know that I have a lot of shoes. I know that I have a lot of houses, but like (laughs) I reached my full potential in this way. And it ended up being a very big, I ended up having a very big voice, but your voice is just as valuable because, you know, in this talk, she said, if you realize that you're a baker, and the way that you want to connect with people and prove yourself worth to yourself and show love to the world is like through like making cakes and giving them to people. That is just as valid as like her doing what she's doing. It just our society rewarded it in X, Y, and Z for her. I have very little sense of humor about her. Yeah. Like I like she is a she's the butt of a lot of jokes. She but she's my avatar on on um Instagram, my computer went to sleep, but like she is my screensaver on my computer. <laughs> um, she's just like, she she just makes me fucking happy. Yeah. And she, I just love her. I just love her. Yeah. In in a lot of ways, she has always felt to me like a, a, a Mr. Rogers for grownups, that it's Absolutely. that same kind of feeling. Absolutely. That, you know, somebody like Mr. Rogers or a kid's TV presenter will give that sense of safety and means of discovering or maintaining self-esteem or, you know, finding your place in the world. And with Oprah, I mean, it was, it was on a much bigger scale, Mm -hmm. a much bigger audience. It was also about developing a brand and, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it is a different beast in that respect, but it was definitely talking to her audience, you know, having, having that kind of idea of like a TV friend that she was Mm -hmm. in your home. She, uh, was speaking directly to you as much as she was to the people in the studio audience. And it was always about introducing people to new things, teaching people about mm-hmm. the world, um, giving people different perspectives, perspectives that they may not have access mm-hmm. to in any other way. 
and all of the stuff, uh, stuff about self-esteem, about personal development, um, which, you know, it's some of it is self-helpy stuff that Absolutely. people can find in other places. Sure. But it was the delivery. It was this mm -hmm. person who people pretty much across the board trusted implicitly and said, you know, this person is never right. going to teach me something that is going to harm, harm me. me. Exactly. And like that whole personal brand thing, it's like she literally trademarked live your best life. Right. Like when you see live your best life, it's TM Oprah. And like, she knows what she's doing, <laughs> but there's nothing bad about it. There's nothing that she's putting out into the world that is like harmful. And I'm just like, I'm, ex you know, speaking about gratitude, like I'm really, I was going to say I'm really grateful for her, but like she started this thing, I think around that time, like when she was doing that, you know, lame sort of new agey segment, remember your spirit, she started this thing where she was like, I, I, I keep a gratitude journal mm -hmm. and I write down things that I'm, I, I write down like 10 or five or 10 things every day that I'm grateful for. And they cannot be like the same five, you know, big overarching things every day. They have to be specific to the day that I just experienced. And that, I mean, I mentioned that in therapy when I was in eighth grade <laughs> and my therapist had me do that because no. I had such a hard time seeing the forest for the trees, like mm -hmm. seeing like that where I was like blessed and lucky and those things, like those things sort of like helped me hopscotch through those really dark years in middle school. Yeah, I, you know, I've read, I've read books because of her. I mean, like, mm -hmm. I didn't know about Toni Morrison before her. And Toni Morrison is, she's like my, she's like my favorite author. And like, yeah. she, I mean, she, Oprah introduced me to um, Eckhart Tolle, who wrote A New Earth, who's mm -hmm. like those, I mean, those, the way that he speaks about like intention and, and moving through the world. She, you know, she introduced me to this, to this guy named Gary Zukav, who wrote this book called Seed of the Soul that I've given to a lot of my friends that it's all about every part of the world. Every part of your daily life is dictated by what your intention is. Mm -hmm. And like, if you came in here and my intention was to, you know, because I had a bad day and my intention was to just get this over with, it would have been a completely different conversation. Mm -hmm. But like the intention was, I want to do well and I want to get to know you and I want you to get to know me in this very specific way and have this connection that shaped the conversation that we had because of my intention. And like, I mean, I heard that in 1998 when I was 12. Right. I mean, like, how is a 12-year-old supposed to implement that in like eighth grade in Smithtown, Long Island? I wasn't really going to, but it helped steer me and keep my eyes on my own paper and mm -hmm. like get through what I needed to get through to try and be able to make the life that I knew that I was worthy of, which was yeah. another thing that she taught me right. that all stories worth telling that you are worthy of the story that you're telling. I mean, she's just fucking great. Yeah. She's just great. And just having somebody like that who provides you with a little toolbox, you know, show, shows you different things about the world. That whole reading program I think was, you know, Amazing. a huge, huge influential thing, but yeah. also the, kind of self-help side of things that having this person who's this American icon who people look to for ideas of ways to improve their lives, for phrases that they can, that will stick in their memory for, you know, decades mm -hmm. that kind of have helped to guide them. And it's not, you know, it's not like everyone in the entire world responded the same way to all of this stuff. Yeah, she was that, but, of, of course, yeah. Um, I also just think about this story. This is about Mr. Rogers, but did you ever watch Love Boat? Love Boat. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, 
I'm sure I watched a few episodes of it. it it's, I mean, this is all, again, digression. This, uh, there was a character called Julie, who's the cruise director. And uh, she, after Love Boat was over, had a really serious cocaine addiction and was in a, her house. She spilled all of her coke on the floor um, in a rug, like a shag carpet. And she was on the floor with like a straw trying to hoover up with her nose all of the oh coke. But she looked up <laughs> and Mr. Rogers is on the TV saying oh something my about God. like, you know, you are oh special God. or you are, you know. Um, Could make me cry right know, now. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. And she was like, this he, he saved my life. Yeah. And this is a, a long-winded uh, comparison, but I feel like Oprah had, had the same effect on a lot of people that it's like uh, people who felt isolated, felt hopelessness. Yes, and again, yes. this was pre-internet as yes, well. So these, yes, those kinds absolutely. of messages, people making that kind of connection with people, it wasn't as easy to find your own individual yes. community and having somebody who had the ability to make everybody feel like they were included in the yes, community in, yes, that she absolutely. was creating yeah. um, was a pretty amazing skill. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I mean, yeah, she's, she has, there are very few, I think there are very few things, people that you can, turn to in like the second half of the 20th century and say like they because they existed the culture veered in a in a in the way that it veered Mm -hmm. and she's one of those people like the world is different because of her which is honestly like whether you are a a fan of hers like an active fan the way i am or not like it's pretty incredible that's i mean that's crazy and also just you know the fact that she's like an, still just a person Oprah's like this she's like this these this like entity in the world and it's mm-hmm. hard to understand that like she just like is a human being yeah well well done Oprah well on done. A, a career achievements about yeah. she's really she's she needs to she needs to be given her due and I'm glad that we're doing that today yes I feel like this is <laughs> finally the Ugh. world will finally know yeah all and and if you or anyone else has not watched her speech at the Golden Globes last year or two oh, years God, ago, of course, yeah, cry every time, cry every <laughs> single time, yes, every Amazing. time. Um, I feel like that is a thorough and great comprehensive overview. <laughs> Of uh, all of the chosen topics. Um, Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank Um, you so much for coming. Thanks uh, for having me. Yes. Uh, If my lovely listeners would like to find out more about your work uh, and find out what you're up to, is Instagram the way? Yeah, Instagram, Andrew. uh, It's just at Andrew Brishler. And uh, the bio on my Instagram is my website. So you can see my work there and follow me if you want to see some gay culture. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Great. Well, thanks again. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. What a guy. Thanks again to Andrew for chatting with me. Check out his work on Instagram because it's great. Okay. Let's talk recommendations, shall we? Firstly, I saw a movie called The Duke of Burgundy. Regular listeners will remember hearing me talk about a movie called In Fabric, and this is another film by the same director, Peter Strickland, and it's another in my series of weird film recommendations. Do you like lesbians? Do you like confusion? Do you like Beckett-esque repetition? How about insects? 
yes to all these things, then this is the movie for you. I will admit I didn't love this one as much as I loved In Fabric, but it's still great. It's beautifully shot and totally bonkers. So if that description appeals to you, you should check it out. Next, Lion Babe have just put out a cover of Hot In Here by Nelly, and it's amazing. Imagine Hot In Here, but as a kind of Balearic house track and sung by someone who can actually sing. Ooh, burn! Sorry, Nelly, if you're listening, but I think even you can admit you're not the best singer in the world. Lion Babe also did a cover of Why by Carly Simon a couple of years ago, which, similarly, is now sung by someone who can actually sing. Ooh, will these sick burns ever stop? I mean, Carly Simon probably knows she's not the world's strongest vocalist, too, but I apologize nonetheless. Okay, I think I should quit while I'm ahead, or at least before I hurt any more celebrity feelings. Please, guys, for real. Follow me on social media, at Spark Parade. I have an online presence that's been described as scintillating by an unknown source. And also, rate and review the show. I recommend a glowing review and five stars. And that's all she wrote. Have lots of fun this week. Be good and stay safe. Until next time. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.